Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. 53106 is our text number. That will cost you 30 cents. You can follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, here's your first question. Our eight-year-old son and ten-year-old daughter share a bedroom in our home, as they've done for a number of years now. They seem comfortable with the arrangement generally, but my husband and I are wondering when it is appropriate to separate them. I don't want to do it too early, as we feel it's good for bonding. Yeah, I mean, there really isn't a should, you know, so to speak on Mm. this, because the fact is many siblings share bedrooms right throughout their years at home. I think the question here is that one is a boy and one is a girl and they're wondering about privacy. That's what I'm reading here, that when is it developmentally appropriate for them to separate out? If they are sharing a room happily, they get on well, they're sleeping well together in the room, they're still only eight and ten years old. I really think that you've no need to do this in an urgent way. Like, you don't have to address this at all. I I think, you know, it's great that you have the opportunity to separate them. You know, you have the privilege of space and that you can make this choice just to kind of say that. And you want to factor in their relationship. Um, The quality of sleep is always something with siblings, no matter what the gender of the children in question are, um, their stage of development. And then it's about, and I think this is where this one's going to come in, the desire for increased privacy. Yeah, And it is likely to kick in, well, I mean, look at it depends on the 10 year old. It could kick in any time from now where actually I don't want him here. I don't want him seeing me. I don't want whatever it might be. Mm. As parents, you might look at, you know, in terms of when puberty is active and part of the relationship, you might feel as parents, it's now appropriate that they have separate spaces and you might make this decision. But what I would, I would, I I don't think it seems like a pressing issue. I'd keep an open mind on it and let that be what guides you. When does it feel appropriate for your children to have the privacy that developmentally they might require and wonder with them what they think about it, what they want. They may well go, actually, we quite like sharing a room and we Mm. don't, we like playing together. We don't want to. And you could get another two years out of this before it's an issue. You could get longer. But I imagine you're looking at this in the next year or two. Yeah. There might there be a difficulty, though, because, you know, presuming the 10 year old is the one that says I want my own room now, that the eight year old. I mean, that's always the difficulty, to be honest with you. So if if neither of them are spearheading this and looking for it and it's not a pressing issue, I'd take a little bit more time with this because they seem very comfortable together and happy to share a space. And isn't that lovely? You know, oh no, absolutely how lovely. lovely that yeah, is, you know. Yeah. So I I mean the time is going to come where they're going to, you know, not want to be as in each other's spaces. But if it's not now, embrace the time you have. Just keep an open eye on it. But I would keep talking to her about it. And you know, it might be that you let them both know that, you know, it is an option to have separate rooms and it's something we'll keep thinking and talking about together, just so they're aware as well. Yeah. My husband insisted on naming our newborn daughter after a character in his late mother's favourite book. I just so want to know what that is. Uh, I was not, though they haven't told us. Uh, I was keen initially, but he talked me. I was not keen initially, but he talked me around. The trouble is, it's quite hard to pronounce. And now people wrinkle their nose when I tell them. My husband has now confessed to me that he regrets the decision of what we named our daughter and that he feels her name hasn't stuck. I didn't have the heart to tell him I didn't I don't like it either. But what should we do? Persist? Should we just give her a nickname? And what do we say to people who comment on her name? Oh, there's some I mean, I'm dying to know the name as well. <laughs> just want to say that. But also, we don't know how old this little girl is. So mm. we don't know how long has the name been 
in rotation here? Like, have you gotten used to it? Is it now, it's something that's out there? We don't know that. People, I mean, look, I could easily say people just shouldn't comment on names, names but we all know people can't but comment on everything. So, you know, that's going to be there. I I always think, Sean, that a name is the first gift a parent gives a child. It's loaded with significance, meaning, desire. And this is no exception. Like this is very particular. The child is named after a character in in the late grandmother's favourite book. A lot of thought went into this and it has a lot of meaning. And I think that that's something just to get back to. Why did you choose this name? And it's one thing to say, I wasn't keen. He talked me around. I still don't like it. You did agree to the name. Mm. You know, just to put this out there, you did agree to it. And I think it's something, you know, even as people are listening, listening to this, just to think in our own minds, do you know why you're called the name you're called? And do you know what you were nearly called? And why did that change? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Just, you yeah. know, just knowing the story of your own name, um, if that's something that either you already know or you still, you know, have the privilege of your parents in your life and you can find that out. It's because it wasn't just, Asher, we just randomly called you that. There's always a story behind the name and there is a story behind this. So I think you've got to get back to why did we call her what we did? And I got talked around and I agreed. So you have to own your part in this, OK? And because a part of me is like, you know, the question, should we give her a nickname? Of course you could give her a nickname, but you're just giving yourself yet another thing to explain. Because yeah. people are going to say, oh, what's that short, short for? for? Yeah. You know, and now you're back to the square one story. But it's a, people wrinkling their nose when I tell them implies to me that because if a child is of a certain age, you'll say, oh, what's your name? So... That yeah. child maybe isn't old enough for that yet. So I know. I there mean, might be time to... How bad could this name be? Um, so it I, depends what the book is. Of course, if the book is <laughs> Last Tango in Paris or something. <laughs> then, you know. I know. But I would get back to why the name is special. And, you know, what it really matters is that it's about your child and the story of her name that you're giving her. If she is young enough for you to go, this was not our best idea. We need to invert first name with middle name if that's an option yeah. and start calling her her middle name yeah. then do that I mean you have a choice here if however she's eight years old mm, it's too her late, name man. is her name mm. and really it's about giving her the confidence with you know I'm called this name this is what it means this is what it means in my family so she has the confidence of introducing herself when people go never heard that how do you pronounce that Yeah, and also other people just stop doing that just you know yeah well people God, you'd be really, yeah. What kind of an Egypt will wrinkle there, you know? At somebody's name. Yeah. You know, I really want these parents to let us know what the name is. <laughs> yeah. It may be, you see, it could be, they could have named very their daughter Frodo or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> At which point, I mean, it's I mean, really hard to back, to back out. We'll yeah. talk about yeah. nicknames for sure. Yeah. What do you call her for <laughs> short? You know, it has to be Cruella. Uh, <laughs> Uh, is there any chance that the child is called Rumpelstiltskin? Oh my God. Uh, that's a lifetime of having to spell it as well. I knew a child called Isis after the Egyptian goddess born yeah. before the terrorist group came to prominence. Uh, their mother has to explain this all the time. Yeah, I've heard that one before actually. Uh, yeah. I, I know all the names that would have been called because my parents gave me five names. That's from Porrick David John Michael Jared. There you go. Uh, it's good to be able to have a choice. Uh, and Ed says any parent who saddles their child with the name Dick or Fanny should be sent to the war crimes tribunal in The Hague. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, context is everything, I suppose. My four-year-old boy can't stop picking his nose. 
And it's got to the point where he puts it all over the house. We find snot stuck under the kitchen table, on the sofa, on the remote control, on the fridge door handle, on the tap, everywhere. We have repeatedly told him not to do this, but the more we ask him, the more bold he gets. I can't even invite people around because I'm worried they will put their hands on the side of it. How well, much mucus has this child yeah. got? Well, at least he's not eating it. That's the, ma- the first well, good thing. he's definitely not. It's going yeah. everywhere but there. But I think, you know, the cold season has been epic, you know, this year. Yeah. And, you know, he's clearly, I'm just going to put this as delicately as I can, he's clearly finding plenty up there. OK, mm, yes. so I do want you just to ensure there's no sinus issues, that he's he's not blocked because otherwise he will be compelled to keep going up there, if only to clear, you know, nasal pathways to breathe. Mm. OK, so make sure that there isn't anything going on um, because he seems to have a never ending supply to put around everywhere. <laughs> you could also reframe this instead of telling him where not to put it. Make sure you have, even though it seems so obvious, make sure you have explained where to put it. So teach him to blow rather than pick. Mm. Try to get some novelty little hankies, you know, um, or tissues, put them everywhere and explain, you know, this is where it goes. It goes into the tissue, into the bin. And you can come up with some little rhyme about, you know, pick it or blow it, ideally, (laughs) and then catch it and bin it, you know, just come in. So he gets in his head, ah, catch it, bin it, catch it, bin it. You've got to kind of give him because this one always comes up when we're talking about habits with kids, you know, nose picking. But this is almost like having the added layer of a bad habit within the bad habit, because it's not really, at least not how I'm reading it. It's not simply that he's picking his nose. It's what he's doing with it. Mm. But if he can form habits, even if they're bad habits, The good news is he's capable of habit formation so he can form a new habit. But he's going to need your help in doing that because he's just four years old. Typically, we would talk about distraction and redirection at that age, you know, because otherwise you're shouting into the wind. But he is also capable of learning a new way of doing this. So I think like lots of patients kind of try to take the gross factor out of it yourself because there is a secondary gain for a four-year-old boy when yeah. you give this big yeah. ew it's disgusting reaction ago <laughs> wait you see what else I can do with it because that's funny and it's amusing and entertaining but I think if you do get the nice hankies and put them everywhere and lots of praise for when you see him use the hanky mm-hmm. also when you do find it on a door handle or wherever else he's putting it that whatever he's doing either pause the play or pause TV or whatever it is he's up to and he must come out and help you clean it. You know, he has to be part of that. And you're not doing it in a scolding, this is disgusting way. You're just saying, look what I found. You forgot to put it in your hanky. Here's a wipe. Now you got to clean it. Mm. And that's a good way to rewire the association. But bear in mind, he's four. So you're going to be repeating this a number of times before it goes in there. Yeah. I, a large number of times. A uh, large number of times. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, yeah. This is uh, so a little snot station for him, uh, uh, essentially. Yeah, um, yeah, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Dan reckons it's kids marking their territory. I don't know if this is it's deeply instinctive. Uh, I'm not that. sure it's that deep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my eight-year-old daughter is the only child of myself and my ex-husband. However, I have found that she tends to get on better with him and is keener to spend time with him instead of me. I'm finding it hard not to take this personally and I'm wondering how I can enhance our relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because I, you know, listening to this, I'm not quite clear if it's a case that she gets on better with dad and still gets on 
good enough with mom yeah. or doesn't get on with mom and only gets on with dad. And my inference is it's the former, that she may be perceived as having a closer relationship with dad, but does get yeah. on with mom because there's nothing in here that says we don't get on, we're fighting all the time or anything like that. And you know what, if it is the former that she gets on with you, but she does have a very special particular bond with her dad, that's okay. Like, it really is okay. There's no problem here with that because our children are of us, you know, both of us. And, you know, she's going to have traits and interests that align closer with one of you than the other. And that's actually going to change as Mm. she grows and develops. She's going to go through waves where everything that's interesting to her right now closely aligns with things that she sees. Oh, well, my dad shares this interest with me. As she gets older, that might change and realign itself closer to you or vice versa, by the way, and go a couple of ways on this. I think the best thing you can do is focus on doing Focus on what she enjoys rather doing with you. Okay, so focus on that rather than what she prefers to do with him. If you keep going, oh, well, she only does that with him or likes doing that with him. Switch that and start going, but what do we do together that is fun? Mm. Or what could we do together that's fun? And, you know, bear in mind it is going to change. She's eight. She's coming into middle childhood. You know, soon enough she'll be relatively disinterested in either of you and more interested in her peer group. But just being available and interested. I think, though... Because, you know, the important thing is, is that she has needs and her needs are being met by both of you. And it sounds to me like this little girl is very lucky. She has a good relationship with both parents Mm. and she knows Mm. who, which of you can meet her needs at a given time. This is a really good thing and a really good resilient factor, especially when you're co-parenting a part like this. But I think for mom just to or this parent who's written in um, to reflect on how their own relationship was with their parents growing up, you know, what did you want from your relationship? Did you get that? If you had gotten it, how do you wish it had been? You know, if you'd gotten that, how what difference would it have made? And what did you imagine your relationship would be like with your own child? Because sometimes it's about this fantasy that as parents we have, I thought we'd be so close. She's my only child. I thought we would do everything together. We'd be best pals. And I'm not saying that's exactly what this parent is saying. But, you know, if if somewhere in that fantasy is a truth. Mm. okay, And it may be that you can say, I did hope that it would be this beautiful, close friendship type of parent-child relationship. I'm not saying it will never get there. But you have to look at who your child is and the nature of the relationship you currently have. Yeah. And I think building on that and investing on that, starting with what are the things that we enjoy together? Can we amplify that and do more of it and bring the focus in to your relationship with her and not be looking at what she's doing or not only looking at what she's doing with her other parent, but celebrate the fact that she has a good relationship with both of you. Yeah. The, the, the kind of little bit of insecurity here, yeah. is that exacerbated by the fact that the, this is a, a mom and a dad who aren't married to each other anymore? I think it, it may well be. And the fact that we have a single child here. So there's a high emotional charge on the relationships in question. Mm. So it's like, well, this is my child. This might be the only child I'm going yeah. to have. And I want us to be really, really close. And that's a beautiful thing to want, by the way. That's not a bad thing. But she's eight years old and she may have interests and distractions and things going on that she's like, I'm perfectly happy with <laughs> yes. how my life is. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not looking to change anything here. But it is OK that you say, I would like more of this. 
start small and build it up. It doesn't have to be, I want all of her. I want to be the one she always comes to. I want to be the one she's closest to. It's not a competition and it shouldn't feel like that. And when it does, usually that's about what's getting activated or triggered in us Mm. by the relationship we're observing. So when you observe your daughter as you perceive her being very close to her dad, what does that bring up in you? And where does that belong? Where does that have its roots? Because by shining a light on that inwards, you can really make a big change in how you're parenting outwards. Yeah. Going back to that uh, question about, we don't know what the name is, but my uh, the, the, the father regretting whatever they uh, call their daughter. Uh, one texter says, my young fella is named Max from the movie Mad Max. Uh, it's worked out well. He's two and a half now and a completely lunatic. They all are at that age. So yeah. Uh, yeah, no matter what you call them. Uh, Jerry says Inspector Morse's first name was Endeavour. He never used it. But, you know, he wasn't a real person. So I don't know if you can... You never uh, knew that. That's a good little table quiz nugget yeah. of information. And uh, uh, Mary Claire, who's a registrar, says you can change, amend or add a forename mm-hmm. to the birth cert. Uh, and you can contact your local civil registration office. And if she's... That young, and then if she's they can young, do that. that's great. That because we don't know the age. That's yeah. my that's my only caution around that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, Dorina says my used to. This is about the the nose picking. Dorina says my sister used to say pick it, lick it, roll it, flick it. Uh, apparently, there's a code. Uh, oh, it's there a code. Was, okay, yeah, uh, let's uh, not share that with the four year olds. Yes, I apologise. New layers. To that <laughs> I apologise to all parents for having read that out. Right, uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show and News Talk. We do have to take a break. Uh, after that, my son wants to be permanently homeschooled. 53106 is our text number that will cost you uh, 30 cents. You're on a fortune is still with us uh, for our parenting slot. Uh, right, next question is this. Uh, my 10-year-old son has insisted he wants to be homeschooled permanently. I'm worried there may be some bullying going on in the school and that has influenced this idea. I'm considering it as an option as it might potentially be feasible but I can't say I'm convinced that it's the best choice for him as I was brought up with the just toughen up mentality so I'm wondering should should I give in or ask him to stay positive and just keep trying at school? I mean, there's a few things in this. I mean, first of all, your 10 year old son can certainly suggest, request, wonder about being homeschooled, but he cannot insist on it because it's a decision that impacts you just as much as him. So, you know, in terms of it's not his call to make, at least not totally his call to make. Um, The other thing that jumps out at me here is, you know, you're, you're making a leap from he wants to be homeschooled to there must be bullying going on in school. So I'm curious, what else is fueling that wondering? You know, what else is leading you to think there could be bullying at school? Mm. I mean, lots of children have had a, well, all children really, have had a taste of being experiencing school at home, school online, school supported by parents over the course of the pandemic. And they had never had that before. But it was suddenly this insight into, oh, there are different ways to go to school. And it doesn't just mean going to the classroom. I could do it here. Some kids really struggled with online app based learning. Some of them loved it and they did really well with it and it suited them. So maybe he simply got a taste of something and was like, I prefer to learn like this. This is what I would prefer. But if you have other evidence or other inklings that no, I think there's something going on in school you owe it to him to explore his reasons for requesting this homeschool, permanent homeschool thing Um, and if you've an inkling it's bullying or you've any evidence or you've seen or heard anything you really do need to act on that and go to the school about it You know, because you can't just toughen up 
about bullying. You can't just be positive about bullying. Yeah. That's not the way it works. And then the toughen up mentality that you were brought up with really jumps out at me. And again, a little bit like I just said about the other parent before the break, I'm wondering how this kind of toughen up, you know, sunny side out, just be positive, get on with it type of mentality worked for you as a child. You know, when you were upset or distressed or, you know, struggling with feelings and you were met with this toughen up response, did that work for you? How did it help you? How did it hinder you? What would have made a difference? Or how do you wish it had been? And start with that. Start with how you wish it had been because then you can do that with and for your son. Because actually owning your feelings, talking about your feelings, owning your fears and vulnerability and being able to make meaning of those and share those with someone else, that's a pretty tough act. You know, that takes a toughness and a resilience to be able to do that. It's not weakness to say I'm struggling. It's actually strength to say I'm struggling because you can say it. So I I wouldn't come at him with a come on now, just toughen up, dust yourself off. It'll be grand because you don't know that. Mm. And if he's coming to you saying, I need a change, be curious as to why do you need the change? What's underpinning it? What difference do you imagine it would make? If there's anything going on in school, please go go down regardless of whether you decide to keep him in or out of school and address that. But also just kind of have a think about Does it suit you to homeschool? I just really want to end with that because I'm like, Mm. this is not his decision to make alone. Yeah. Because this is a massive decision for you as a family because he won't be learning alone at home. You will be responsible or one of you or somebody at home will be responsible for teaching him. So that's a pretty big family lifestyle shift as well. Yeah, they're saying it's an option that might (coughs) potentially be feasible. But if, if, as we all know from the first year of the lockdown, teaching children's really hard. Well, you certainly have to kind of make other changes if it's going to be a permanent arrangement that you won't be doing your job mm. parenting. And by the way, teaching, 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 it it would take a more kind of ring fence dedicated because what we were all doing in lockdown was really supporting home based learning that teachers were also still directly involved in and our schools were directly involved in. This would be different. This would be about a conscious choice to homeschool where you're the teacher. Yeah. Oh, good God. Uh, uh, well, yeah, uh, good luck with that. The, you know, and like we would get this a lot, mm. as in pretty much every week. Yeah. Uh, somebody will email in or text in the kind of kicking the arse didn't do me any harm kind of yeah. uh, idea. Almost as if like they want, and, and, and I don't know, I never know how to interpret that. Does that mean yeah. you don't want your child's life to be better than your life uh, or that your life was fantastic and therefore it should be the same? Well, I think there's a little bit of a defensiveness to it too and I can understand that. But just because something didn't do you harm doesn't mean it did you good. Mm. And really that's what we want to do is do good by our children, do right by our children, give them opportunities, help them to deepen their own understanding of emotional experiences so that they can make meaning of things and really move forward as independent people so that they have this understanding that overt behaviour, what I do and say, what people do and say, is underpinned by physical and emotional states. And I can interweave that with narrative, with confidence, and I can speak about my feelings. You know, I can think my feelings and feel my thoughts. You know, that's, mm. that's the holy grail, really. Yes. <laughs> that's the ultimate. Um, and it can take some of us our whole lives to grapple with that and work it out. And it isn't, it can be a little bit of a minimising and a dismissing to say, sure, look, it didn't do me any harm. Well, do you know what? Did it do you good? Mm. And if it didn't do you good, then I think we can do better. Yeah. Sometimes you suspect that maybe it did do you harm, but you just don't accept uh, that it did you any harm. Um, because I suppose a lot there's like generations of people who 
and I would be among that generation, had the heads belted off them by their parents. But you don't want to consider your own parents as being somehow abusive. It was the norm at the time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I always think with very, very rare exception, most of us are doing the very best that we can. Mm. Okay, and I think if we start from that place, there is room for empathy and understanding, you know, and I still think if we can hold a place of curiosity that this is the best that I know, this is the best that I can do, but I'm open to learning something new and a new perspective and maybe a small change could make a big difference. If we can stay open to fresh thinking and new perspective on everything that we do, then the opportunities for ongoing learning are endless. Yeah. Our 19-month-old appears to be very scared of our electrical appliances. Whenever we use the blender, the hoover or the coffee grinder, he starts crying and screaming at the top of his lungs and we don't know what to do. We have to actually get him out of the kitchen every time we use them. What can we do? Such a common early childhood fear, this one. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, the dog in our house is like that. Yeah, uh, it's very, very common, especially at this age. You know, if you ever go on any of those lists with the top 10 early childhood fears, this one will be in there because you know also think about the amount of brain development that's going on for a young toddler at this age but alongside of that their imaginations are developing kicking in more and so a noise could be anything a sound could be anything because that little imagination is really ramping up and becoming much more active for them and in fairness now you're talking about the blender the hoover the coffee grinder these are loud noises yeah okay these are rough you know, really kind of grating types of noises. Um, so, I mean, there's what can you do? It's it's a little bit of trial and error. It's a little bit of patience, persistence and just giving this time as he becomes more used to what these are by hearing them regularly, seeing them. You know, for example, if you can, and it might not be feasible all the time, but if one of you could hold him, but away from the item that's making the noise, but not out of the room entirely. So I'm safely held. I'm really Mm. contained. You've got that deep pressure touch as you hold me. You're using your voice and your own body body to kind of sway in that rhythmic way and go, it's okay, it's okay. You're putting that rhythm and synchrony piece in there that's soothing him while the other of you goes, and in three, two, one, done. Mm. And you're cueing him. It's nearly over. It's done. And you build up tolerance gradually to the noise and gradually build up exposure, but in a very safe, held way. I think you could also get some toy versions of some of these, like a little sweeping brush or a little, (laughs) you know, there's little toy hoovers or dustpan brush or, you know, I mean, there's little toy wooden cappuccino makers all over the place these days. So, you know, you can get, (laughs) you know, you can get any kind of little toy thing out there and play with it. And even you could play with, you know, I'm not suggesting you give him your coffee grinder, by the way. But, you know, let him see you touch and engage with it when it's not making noise so that he's also seeing, you know, and there's the coffee. It came out of it. You want to normalize it, basically build up his tolerance. But I think this one is just about time, patience and perseverance. It really is very, very common fear for a small child to have. Actually, the counting thing, yeah, is was uh, um, very useful for using the hairdryer. Yep. Uh, uh, but if you let her count, she knows when it's going to be over and it's like she controls when it's going to yeah. be over because she gets to that number. Of course, they'll go one, two, ten. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> or you can get one of those little timers, <laughs> little sand timers and went, oh, you just look at the sand and then it's done. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, Joanna, thanks a million. Thank uh, as ever, Joanna Fortune there. If you have a question for jo- Joanna, you can send it to afternoon at newstalk.com. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that. Touching the sun. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.